morning, St. Michael's. Will you stand with us? Lord, we're just so grateful to be here in your presence this morning. Lord, we know that where you are, there's freedom, there's grace, there's victory. And we just want to be a part of that in the world. We want to show that to your nation, to your people. And I just invite you to, to lift our voices to you this morning in all praise and adoration. In Jesus' name.
the Holy Spirit. Blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all (laughs) desires known. And from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me. May delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace, consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God on high and on earth, good will towards men. We praise Thee. We bless Thee. We worship Thee. We glorify Thee. We give thanks to Thee for Thy great glory. O Lord God, heavenly King, God the Father Almighty, O Lord, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. O Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Thou that takest away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sitteth at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. We are tuning out the noise, pressing of healing 
Hello and welcome to our all-virtual St. Michael's Church service. As you might have realized, the worship and liturgy that you just watched uh, and participated in was pre-recorded. It was from an earlier service. For those of you who are particularly observant, you may have realized that was actually from the service where we baptized uh, Jessica and Preston May's child, Jude, uh, there was some particularly good mixing in there and a uh, great worship set there. So we wanted to go ahead and offer that for you. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do the collect and the readings and the sermon, and then we'll tune back in and see the uh, liturgy go from there. Thanks for joining us. Let us pray together the collect. Oh God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace, that we, 
running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the, as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Yet you say, the word of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. The house, O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to read our Psalm, Psalm 25. We're going to read verse 1 through 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second lesson comes from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson comes from Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. Now when he came to the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? 
But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons and the first came to him and sorry, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and he went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So I have the opportunity to bring the word as well uh, on this virtual Sunday. Uh, and I wanted to talk, we're finishing up our discernment toolbox series. So today I thought I would go through a character who had a particular set of problems beset him. Problems that I think are universal to our experiences. And in fact, really, if you look at this, almost all of them were centered around the same thing we've been talking about week after week. That there are lies of the enemy that are trying to distract you from what God's trying to lead you into. That are trying to really bring destruction into your life. So we're going to read through Nehemiah, and I've got quite a few verse reference here, so you can follow along. Most of them are from chapter 4, and then we jump into chapter 6 here, but I'll try and say those as we go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a reader view here. <clears throat> so we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 3. Now, I'll give you a little bit of context here. What happened is, as you might have known, the people of Israel were taken captive, and they were in captivity for almost 500 years. And then God started to speak to this person, Nehemiah, and basically he put on Nehemiah's heart the desire to rebuild Jerusalem, which is, of course, as you know, their primary place of worship, their home. And so Nehemiah gets this miraculous permission from the king and supplies and provisions to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he's doing that, and he's collected the Jews that he's able to find. The, anybody He basically wants anybody who wants to come help to help. And so he's collected a core group of people who are going to help him build the wall. But as he starts to build, as he starts to fulfill the call of God on his life, as you might suspect, he encounters problem after problem after problem. So I'm going to start with chapter 4, verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So what you see is you see a group of individuals who are going to be the enemies in this story, the people who are trying to come against the things that God's trying to accomplish in Jerusalem, who are trying to distract the people, destroy the people. And so they're, they're making fun of the work that Nehemiah is doing. They're mocking it, right? You're building a stone wall. If even a fox goes up there, it's going to fall down. Let me just start by saying 
as we talked about this, God has given you an assignment. And if you don't know what that assignment is, you can start with the assignment that he's given you in your heart. He's assigned you to become a son or a daughter of God, right? And so that's going to include maybe not even specific things, right? He might not have given you a specific task like write a book or lead worship or do this or that or the other thing. I'm just talking to start with. He's talked about he wants your heart. He wants to transform your heart. He wants to make you into a son or a daughter of God. And that's your first assignment. The second one is going to be external, right? And he may give you many assignments in this case. He's called me right now to work at house construction, to drive construction materials. He's also called me through the calling of my bishop to preach this sermon to you. That's an assignment that I have. And when God gives you an assignment, be it big or small, you can expect that there will probably be some opposition. Uh, this was an interesting week. And I will say that there was a time where I thought, man, how are we going to pull off church when we have all these various things that we're considering? And yet here I am sitting here preaching the sermon that God had put on my heart. God has given you likewise an assignment. And if you don't know what God's saying to you, ask him or press in. Ask, ask your home group leader. Ask one of the leaders to help pray with you. Ask your spouse. There are things that God has given you that he wants to pull, bring to completion. And they're good things. They're really good things. So you don't want to miss it. But how do you resist the mocking that comes when you're doing an assignment? I could get really discouraged. You know, there are some amazing preachers in the world. And even in our church, there's some fantastic preachers who have so much godly wisdom, who've been doing this so much longer than me. I could get discouraged as I begin to preach and think, oh man, who am I? to be preaching to the people of God, to be trying to open up the scriptures. What training, what skill, what expertise do I bring? But that's actually the wrong way to think, right? When you hear mocking, there's a really easy defense for it. And number one is humility. Let me read this real quick. This is from Romans chapter eight, or sorry, chapter 12, verse three. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Look at that. There's an assignment, right? God has even assigned you a measure of faith. But my point here is that, no, of course, you don't start pumping yourself up, right? The world might say, no, yeah, you can do it. The power of positive thinking. I am a good preacher. I am a good preacher. Look in the mirror and tell yourself, you are a good preacher. You know, you could... Pump yourself up and make it about, oh, no, I'm a really good talker, and I've read a lot of books, and I have all these things. But did you know that that's not what it's about? Humility says we don't focus on ourselves, our flaws, or our abilities. In fact, we focus on the power of Christ within us. And especially apparent is when you're preaching the word of God. That's something that could be really apparent to me. But it's even it might be less apparent but really crucial if you're a car mechanic guess what god wants to empower you to accomplish that call to do well in there and of course we develop our skills and abilities as god brings us up and he gives us these assignments but ultimately we rely on the power of god and so humility says it's it's not thinking less of myself right humility isn't saying like oh geez i'm just so terrible but actually it's thinking less about myself and thinking more about the power of God in me. Don't be obsessed with your faults or your accomplishments, but trust 
to God. And then all of a sudden when he says, if a fox goes up on the wall, he's going to break it down. When they start making fun of the thing that you're doing, you could say, well, it's Christ in me who's going to accomplish the task. So I don't have to listen to that mockery. Second, we need to trust God, right? We need to develop that trust. So first of all, we have humility where we don't make it about our ability, but we we rely on God. But then the, the undergirding of that is trusting God. And so we can read in Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can trust that God's going to bring these things to completion in us. The ultimate call on our life is to be who God has called us to be from the inside out. And we can trust that he will bring that to completion. We just are asked to participate, to put our trust in him and not to get caught up in the lie that says, oh, you're never good enough. You're never going to get there. You're never going to be able to accomplish this task that's in front of you. And trust me when I say I have felt that lie or that temptation to despair, but we resort to our hope that Jesus is the one working in us. Let's look on the next attack, right? Because each one of these things is an attack to try and discourage Nehemiah, to distract him from the job that God has given him. So the enemies start to gather together against this project, right? Because they don't want a strong fortified city here to encroach on what they have for the past hundreds of years counted as their own land. They're coming against the purposes of God. But do you know what? Let's look in chapter, it's chapter four, verse 12. So just a little bit farther here. Uh, here's a verse. At that time, the Jews who lived near them, which is the enemies, came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So what's happening here? The Jews who haven't gone to help build Jerusalem live right next to the enemies of this project. And they hear day in and day out how the, oh, I think I might have actually written it here, but basically what they're saying is the enemies are saying their strength is failing. They're never going to accomplish that wall. And the Jews who live near them, they're hearing this all the time. They're submerged in that culture. There's a parallel that I want to draw to Christians who are submerged in the media culture, who are submerged in Facebook, social media, political ideologies, all these things, even the TV culture that we imbibe day in and day out, that we just take in the underlying message is that lies are going to come in there, right? If you're not careful what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're paying attention to, and you're just consuming this stuff because it's just fun, just watching a funny movie, or I'm just uh, listening to this news because, you know, I've got to stay informed. You can take in the lies because you're submersing yourself in a culture that is not Christian. And we know that there are even Christians who will come against the work that God is doing in us and discourage us because they are more steeped in the culture. And that can happen through people who are more secular, through people who are more conservative. All over the spectrum, we see people who submerge themselves less in God's culture and more in the culture that they're surrounded in. And I think it happens to us too. So we need to be really careful because it actually matters what you listen to. It matters what you see. There's a reason why that's hit throughout scripture or the famous song, of course, that comes to your mind. Be careful, little lies, what you see, right? There's something important there. But what's the end of that? For the father up above is looking down with love. 
See, that's the counterpoint to the culture that we're in, is that it's actually about what the father sees. He looks down with love, and we need to see from his perspective, but it's going to be really hard to do that if we're surrounded and immersed in this culture that's going to smuggle in the lies of the world and the enemy. All right, so the, even the people in the church, if they're submerged in things that are not the culture of God, they can be the discouragers against you. But I want to say maybe we're those people who live too often in the culture that's saturated with the lies of the enemy. All right, let's talk about the very next verse. Here's the next. Uh, basically, what happens is the, the, ga- the armies that I'm talking about, these enemies, they start to gather against Jerusalem, basically saying, hey, we're going to come and we're going to beat you guys up. We're going to kill you. We're going to drive you from the city. And so this is Nehemiah's response. In the lowest part of the space behind the walls, in the open places, Nehemiah stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So this is really crucial here because what's happening is the people, the enemies of God are making a big ruckus and they look big and they look terrifying. And it's like, how in the world are we going to survive this situation here? They've got these huge armies arrayed against us. And I think sometimes in our culture, we can easily be uh, committed to this idea. It's like, even though we are surrounded by people in St. Michael's who are Christians, who believe the same way we do, when we look at our culture, it can be easily portrayed that we actually have more enemies than friends, more foes than allies. And we can be overwhelmed by the power of these people. We can be overwhelmed by the government of California that just seems to be oppressing us with its rules and regulations and taxes. Or we can be overwhelmed by the secular thoughts that come through Hollywood and TV and the university and all these things. We can be overwhelmed and oppressed by these things. But we can we can feel like that's just too big. We can't compete. But the truth is that God's kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't operate the same way this world does. And so as these people are gathering in their armies, what is he saying? He's saying, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. It reminds me of that situation where you have Elijah, or it might have been Elisha. I always get them mixed up. And they have this army that surrounds them. And his servants like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's the coronavirus. There's the liberal agenda. There's the uh, nationalistic populist agenda. There's all these things that are coming against us. What are we going to do? And then Elijah asks that God opens the eyes of his servant. And you know what? When he looks around, there's a fiery group of angels surrounding them. And greater are those who are for them than against us. That's what Nehemiah said. Remember the Lord who is great. And awesome. Papa used to say this, magnify God, not your problem. And then he continues to say, well, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the point is, we don't have to be afraid, but instead we're going to remember the Lord. But he does encourage them to take up their arms, to take up their swords, their spears, their bows. And basically what he says is, let me just say it this way. These are contentious times. These are times that are really, really difficult. And there are armies that are arrayed against us. 
But I want to talk, it doesn't really take a profit to talk about the fact that these are contentious times. But I want to talk about what are the armies that are arrayed against us. And I'm just going to pause this real quick, and we're going to come right back. Sorry for the interruption. So my, what I'm saying is it doesn't take a profit to see that these are contentious times. We all know that. We all feel that. But what are the armies that are arrayed against us? What are we fighting against? Let's be very clear. Let's look at this verse here. You've heard it many times, but I'm just going to point out one more thing within here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So when we look at our weapons, we're talking about weapons that disarm what? They, they destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what are we talking there? We're fighting against lies. It says that clearly. So what are our weapons? Our weapons are the tools of discernment that we've been talking about. How do you disarm lies and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive? You use the tools that we've been talking about to discern truth. Truth defeats the lies. So the tools are things like having good friends. Standing on the promise of God, knowing the map, the Bible, the teachings of the church, our compass being tuned and shaped by the Holy Spirit. Those are the weapons of our warfare. I'm not going to get totally into or uh, take the rabbit trail down the, uh, you know, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, all that stuff. That's just a further development of these ideas. And it's really good, but we don't have time for it. But the point is he has them pick up their weapons, and that's what we're doing. Past three weeks, that's what we've been doing. We've been trying to give you your weapons, remind you of your weapons, help you to know how to use the weapons, because we know that there are armies arrayed against us. And like I said, it's not people that we're fighting against. It's the ideas that we're fighting against, the lies. And then furthermore, he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and why do we fight? Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Think about that. If you're just fighting for yourself, then you've already bought into a lie that it's all about you. In fact, you matter and you have an assignment because only you can fulfill the purposes of God in your life. And so what that means is we are not just fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for the purposes of God. And what are the purposes of God? They're to bring the kingdom of God to earth among our communities, our families, our church, our state, our nation, the world, the whole world will see the glory of God. And we get to be a part of that. You have an assignment, but it's not just for you. It's for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your home. I will tell you, I will fight less for myself than I would for my son, my daughter, my wife, because that is a motivation that will keep me going by the power of God. It matters that I disarm the lies because I will hurt those around me if I believe the lies. I will lead my family in a way that will lead to destruction if I believe the lies. I've seen it happen to people. We can take this seriously. We are really in a war. There is hope and there is somebody who sustains us, but you need to open your eyes to see the lies that the enemy is trying to get away with here. So they've gathered their armies and they've tried to intimidate these people who are trying to build this wall. But then the Israelites come and they bring all their swords and spears and bows. And do you know what? As so often happens in our lives, when you bring your weapons to the fight, 
the enemy flees. They don't even have to fight. The, once the group of the Israelites are there, the enemy's like, eh, we don't want to deal with an armed group of people. We'll just wait. We'll wait until an opportune time. And so I'll tell you, if you just pick up the Bible when you're in a situation, that might be enough to help you see through the lie. You don't even have to fight necessarily. I say that to say, of course, we're in warfare constantly, but there is something important about when you turn to God, you've already begun your victory. So now the armies are discouraged because they saw that these guys are ready to fight. And so the workers have to go back to work. But those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored work on the work with one hand held on his weapon and with the, sorry, labored on his work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. So as these people go back to building, they don't forget that they're surrounded by enemies. They keep their, uh, their sword at hand. So they get about the assignment of God in their life. Let's say for me, that's driving a truck at house construction, strapping it down, making sure that it's well taken care of, delivering it to the job site. But I don't have to forget my sword. So how does that apply to us? It applies, I think, in this verse that says pray continually or pray without ceasing. You've heard it, I'm sure. But what does that mean for us? Because that doesn't mean, obviously, that doesn't mean getting on your knees and praying 24-7. It means something a little different. And I have just a story that might illustrate that for us. If you have a shower that takes ages to heat up in the morning, what you can do, if you're not too worried about wasting the water, is you can leave the hot water on just a little bit so there's a trickle so that the when you get up in the morning, it's already there. It's already prepped. It's already trickling in. So I think that's kind of like what we do with the Holy Spirit. We invite him to be a part of our day and we try and stay tuned in to what he's doing throughout the day. We try and stay aware of the fact that he's going with us. We've been promised that he's with us and he will never leave us. And he's the comforter and the one who will guide us into all truth. And so what we do is we shape our awareness so that we're aware of the Holy Spirit going through without throughout our day. And when you notice that you've been caught up in fear or anger or stress, you can stop and you say, Holy Spirit, where are you in this? What do you have to say? And over time, you'll get to the point like uh, there's a great story of Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God, a great little book about basically this concept. But he says he could see God in even the soap bubbles as he was washing dishes. Trust me when I say I, I, have, I haven't gotten to that place where I can see God in washing the dishes. It's not my favorite thing to do. Uh, but we can become so aware of God that we can be aware of his presence, even in the difficult task, even in the boring task, even in the things that we can often discount. I think that's part of what it means to work is unto the Lord. When you bring him with you, that everything you do is shaped by your awareness of him. So next, right? So now they're working, but they keep their swords with them and they have a horn so that when the enemy does come, they can all gather around the horn. Next, the enemy wants to parlay, right? They want to, I learned that word from uh, <clears throat> Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Parlay, if you guys remember. Uh, but basically they want to meet. And they're like, hey, they, they phrase it really nicely. Come, let us meet together and we'll talk about this, right? I'm not even going to pronounce it. It's Hacrophorum or something in the plain of Ono. But we're told they intended to do me harm. This is from Nehemiah's perspective. And I sent down to the messenger saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? This is just one of the enemy's best weapons against us, and it's called distraction. 
And I think in our world where we have literally, we take the distraction in our pocket or in our purse with us everywhere we go, we have this thing, right? Our phones. And we can easily get caught up in other things. And that's an easy one, right? We all should be more aware of how we're pulled into social media or TV or news or whatever it is that's distracting you from being present in the moment that God has for you. What does he have for you right now? And I'm not saying that those things are always bad. I know I talked about them, but I think we just need to be more aware. And if we bring the Holy Spirit with us, that might help us. But distraction could be even more than that, right? We already know that our phones can be a distraction. But do you know what it could also be? It could be something really good, like taking on a new ministry or starting a new business or doing something that typically would be seen as good. Well, let me tell you a story. At my church in Beverly, we had a pastor who loved the church, and he was one of the best pastors I've ever met, just really gifted in making people feel seen and loved and communicating the love of Christ to people and with truth, just a really intelligent guy as well. But he fell prey to this trap of distraction because God had called him to plant this church and to lead this church, but they just kept adding programs and ideas, and he kept trying to fulfill the call of God but he got distracted by all the list of things that could help him lead this church, all these programs. And you know what he forgot? He forgot to focus on what God had called him to do, which was first and foremost to be a husband and a father. And so when six years came up and they offered the sabbatical that this uh, denomination requires at six years, first of all, he was so busy, he couldn't even do it then. He asked for a six-month extension. So he kept working on these things. Finally, they get him to take the sabbatical, and he looks back, and his family is in shambles. His finances are in shambles. And after three months of sabbatical, he comes back to the elders, and he says, look, I can't come back. I've got to focus on my family and my finances. Because he had gotten so distracted doing the work of God, and he lacked that discernment to know exactly where God wanted him to focus, he lost sight of what God had really called him to. Now, I don't know what that is, and I'll tell you, this is this came from conversations with him. He was very open with his congregation about what had happened. This is not an accusation from me. And I'll tell you, because he was wise enough in that time to realize where he was at, he actually heard God's voice, and God called him out of ministry into a job that paid better and that had more regular hours, and they are flourishing in the place that God has called them to. That also comes against this thing that sometimes we think our pastors are like the superhero Christians. Well, if you're not called to be a pastor in that season, then guess what? That's not what you're called to be. And the superhero Christian might be the guy who drives the garbage truck and sings worship songs as he does it. That glory to God comes through the respectable calling that he's given you, right? That was a side note. But the point is that this pastor recognize that there was so much brokenness because he had taken on all these good ministries, right? He was called to lead the church. He was called to preach, but he had taken on all these additional responsibilities, a ministry to the YMCA, a ministry over here, and he had tried to do everything, and he had forgotten to hear that voice that was going to guide him one way or another, right? And it almost led to his ruin. But do you know what? God is so faithful to us. If you feel like you might be there, this guy was able to rebuild his life, and now they are flourishing, and his family is growing, and they're beautiful example of how God can redeem a broken situation. God knows where we're going to fall, and he's already planned our redemption if there are places in our life that we miss him. So let me just clarify this. 
your first assignment that you can't let anything distract you from. Men, you're called to be a husband, aside from the very few who are called to celibacy. And a father, even if you're not a husband, even if you don't have biological children, you're called to be a father to men and women in the church. Women, you're called to be a wife, except for the few who are called to celibacy. Very, very few, right? And women who don't have biological children for one reason or another, you're called to be a mother anyways. I just want to say that's God's first assignment to you. And don't lose sight of that as you go throughout your day and do everything that he's called you to do. All right, verse four. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So that comes right after this verse where they're saying, come counsel with us. And this feels very real because you know what? Distraction is persistent and demanding. So we must persevere in our focus. It's a discipline to remain focused on what God has put in front of us. There's lots of things that are persistently trying to get our opinion. Let me quickly go through these. I feel like we're going a little long here. So let's talk about the next opportunity or the next challenge that Nehemiah faced. Sambalot for the fifth time. So this is after he sent the council. Now Sambalot, this enemy of Nehemiah, sends an open letter that says, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews tend to rebel, intend to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Guilt, accusation, manipulation, this is the primary targets of the enemy. We know that this is not true, but when people are lying about you, you can feel that pressure. Let me put it in just a contemporary example real quick. If you're accused of being a racist, it's really hard to not defend yourself and try and argue against that, which, as you know, if you've read the books that are informing this opinion, that is a sign of being racist. Or you might even start believing it, which, of course, if you believe you're a racist, who's anybody to say otherwise? That's a sign of being a racist, too. You can think it's true because of the persuasive words that people say to try and rope you into this guilt. Now, I will say that there are times we must repent and we need the tools that we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit, good friends, the Bible to help us discern that. But we can stand firm in Romans chapter 8. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And also, who shall bring a charge against God's anointed? It is God who justifies. So ultimately, our righteousness, our good enoughness is reliant upon what God, the work God's doing in us. And there may be places that you need to repent and grow and be transformed, but there is no guilt or condemnation. And you cannot be manipulated when you stand firm in your identity in Christ. So then, so how do you respond to false accusations? Nehemiah gives us a great example. Don't argue. Refuse to play their game. This is what he says. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. He just tells them, that's not true. You're making it up. I love that he's so confident in who he is and what God's called him to do to know that. And then this is a really insightful verse, for they all wanted to frighten us. Let me just say one thing. There are people who make millions of dollars every year based on frightening you and I. News, TV, media, there are people, clickbait you've probably heard of. The goal is to engender fear in people because you know what fearful people do? They consume the news. They consume the media. They click. They look. Oh, my gosh, did you hear about this? Oh, my gosh, did you do that? They would love, the enemy would love for us to have that. 
mentality. But we can stand firm. No such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. We need to know when it's just an invention and nothing we even need to pay attention to. Okay, last enemy here. A prophet of the Jews comes and says, Nehemiah, lock yourself in the temple. They're sending someone to kill you. All right, well, we've seen in the Old Testament time and again where people ignore the prophets and it leads to disaster. But this is how Nehemiah responds. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. So there's two responses here, right? First of all, Nehemiah has been so formed in his identity and as God's chosen to accomplish this task that his compass is calibrated such that he knows, look, I'm not the guy to run away. I'm not the guy to give in to fear. I can stand firm on the promises of God. Should such a man as I, that's not because he's a bit, his ability is so great, but because he has been called and chosen by God, just as you and I have, right? We need to have our compass calibrated so that we don't get afraid when the enemy tries to intimidate us. And then his second one, right? And what a man such as I could go into the temple and live. I will not go in. He knows the map. So his compass is calibrated in his identity and he knows the map. God's law says you can't go into the temple unless you're under very particular circumstances, unless you're a priest. And so he lives within the boundaries God has set for him. And that helps him see that this is, I can't respond to this prophecy. And then this is so interesting, right? He has the proper response. And then I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced this prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. God didn't reveal to Nehemiah the fact that this guy was a false prophet until after he responded correctly. Let me tell you this. God rarely shows us the whole picture, but he does give us enough to obey. You can rely on that. He's given you enough to obey his guidance and he will Bring to completion the good work he's doing in you if you're able to re rely on him and where he's called you to. So that's what happened with Nehemiah. He knew, is such a man, should such a man as I run away? And should such a man as I go in the temple? He knew the map and he had a calibrated compass. And then God brings the revelation. Oh, yeah, this guy's a false prophet. He was hired by these guys. So God knows what you're going through. First, respond by knowing the map. What would God lead you to? Don't give in to fear and trust God to reveal what you need to know. Okay, so this is the end here. We're coming to the end of a marathon sermon. When, I said when, not if we prevail, we get to see, right? Because they build this wall in 52 days, a miracle by any account. And in chapter 16 of chapter, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 16, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Let me tell you a secret about this. In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of God's purposes shall come to pass. His purposes for you, his purposes for your family, his purposes for the world. We are in trial here, but we are driven by hope, we are guided by faith, and we are shaped by love. You can go to the bank with this. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. We're promised that throughout Scripture. As a child of God, you will come into your inheritance. God will bring it to pass. The question is, are you going to cooperate with him 
in bringing his kingdom to earth and transforming your family. You have such an opportunity here. I know I've talked about the challenges and the difficulties of the enemy, but truly you have such an opportunity here. You have such an opportunity to press in and trust God. Amen? All right, I'll be right back with the prayers and the Nicene Creed. All right. Let us join together in declaring the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic church that we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you, that your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons, that they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world, that there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake, that our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble, that they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. God of compassion, be close to those who are ill, afraid, or in isolation. In their loneliness, be their consolation. In their anxiety, be their hope. In their darkness, be their light. Through him who suffered alone on the cross, but reigns with you in glory. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, but do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Be 
Shine through every shadow. 
I wanted to uh, remind you, too, as we come back together as the church that has a legitimate place in our culture and society, uh, try to really avail yourself to participate in it. This Thursday night, as you get that, that first night we bring the home, back, home groups together, uh, we're going to have uh, Canon Mark Miller come, and he's got a special word for us, and it's a word that he wanted to deliver in that uh, forum. So be sure to be here, okay? We, like, we welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord that's made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him even more. So come if you have much faith and come if you have little. You who've been here often and you who haven't been here long, you who've tried to follow, you who failed, you come. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him right here. So come to the table this morning. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and prayer. Father Almighty and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because in Jesus Christ our Lord, you received us as your sons and daughters. You made us citizens of your kingdom and has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And so, with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, when supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, died, but Christ Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. And especially remember those who were sick or infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. 
We hold up this day Olivia and Connie and Susan, Carl, Serena and Naomi and Rachel and Nadia, Kyle and Sonja and Sandra, Maria, Karen, David and Darcy, Tammy and Thomas, the Marines and the sailors at Camp Pendleton. You may add names of those that you're praying for. Pray for LaVon. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the Supper of the Lamb.
thanksgiving let us pray eternal God heavenly father you have graciously accepted us as living members of your son our Savior Jesus Christ and you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. As you leave, remember the gospel. And wherever you go, don't ever forget it. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling. Reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Let's go into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.